Hi, welcome to Promo Insiders, a new podcast from ASI's Counselor Magazine. In this weekly series, we'll be tackling every topic that matters to the promotional products industry, from hard-hitting subjects like tariffs and coronavirus to fun trends and new opportunities. I'm Counselor Executive Editor Chris Ruvo, and for our first podcast, I'm being joined by BAMCO President Phil Cousid and Josh White, BAMCO's General Counsel and SVP of Strategic Partnerships. Phil and Josh have their fingers on the pulse of the most pressing challenge facing promo today novel coronavirus. That's our topic. All right, Phil and Josh, thanks so much for uh, being with us today. Let's get into this first question. What's the current state of things as far as the coronavirus's impact on the promotional products industry? Um, We're kind of looking for a a macro perspective here. What are you seeing across the industry? Well, I'll take this one. You know, it's not great. Um, you know, Banco, we've been out in front of this for a while. We've been more pessimistic than most uh, in the industry on, on frankly, the entire situation. I think we, we published our first white paper about the coronavirus five weeks ago, and, and we really started messaging with our clients about this at the end of January, early February. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, this industry has a, a real tendency to bury its head in the sand when bad things are headed this way. I mean, I think it's why we've been We've, we've seen sort of some of our competitors be so slow to embrace technology and so resistant to, to some of that sort of 21st century understanding of, of what promotional products can do as an advertising tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a whole, I think the industry is just completely unprepared. I think from the conversations I've had with people and what we're hearing, I think people are stuck in self-deception mode. Okay. Um, we've seen we've seen that self deception apply in other areas like the adoption of technology, but in this situation, I think the consequences are much more immediate. They're much more direct, and they're sort of you know right right you know facing people right now in their business. And I think it's it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our business we're 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 in pretty good shape, and we're certainly in better shape than most. We spent the last two years being very intentional about diversifying our supply chain. We've moved a lot of our manufacturing outside of China. Mm-hmm. And as a company, we've been talking about the trade war for, for over two years. I think I've personally published a half dozen white papers talking about the importance of supply chain diversification. Mm-hmm. When we did that, we never imagined that there'd be uh, an epidemic and potentially a global pandemic that would um, necessitate the need for a, a diversified supply chain. But you know, we're, we're very fortunate to be in the position we are in as a business where we've got really strong, really deep relationships in China that are sort of allowing us to get good on-the-ground information that those relationships have given us that information weeks in advance of everyone else. And when production sort of gets ramped up, we're going to utilize those relationships to get things going. But in general, the things I'm hearing from this industry and the sort of self-deception I'm hearing, mm-hmm. I think it's not good. When you say when you say yeah. not good, could you unpack that a little bit? Is it, you know, are we, you know, we've heard about supply chain disruption. We've heard about potential inventory shortages. Are those Are those realities that you're seeing, you know, other companies contend with right now? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it, um, just to, to dive a little deeper, there, there's been 40 billion missed work hours in China to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the equivalent as if the entire U.S. just went on an unplanned two-month vacation. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, there's obviously significant problems that are down the line, that are coming down the line in terms of inventory. Most of the factories in China uh, are still running at significantly reduced capacity. Some factories are still closed. And so as a result of that, uh, we're going to start seeing squeeze on the inventory side in a real, real big way. Uh, we're talking to all the big suppliers on a daily basis, and 
Um, they're, they're running into inventory issues already, and that trickle down has just begun. Mm-hmm. And so this will get worse before it gets better, not to mention that we also have the shear component. And that's something that is, is a really important aspect to it. It's not just supply chain issues, it's shear issues. Uh, if this starts coming to the U.S. in the same way as it's made its way into Italy and South Korea, where you start getting, you know, three, four, five hundred cases a day or eight hundred cases a day, uh, I think people in the U.S. will panic pretty, pretty significantly. We're already starting to see a lot of corporations um, reduce their travel or, or put a halt on all non-essential travel. Mm-hmm. They're also canceling events, and all of that has an effect on our industry for sure. Yeah, good, good point. And we, we are starting to see. I, there was a runs at uh costco over the weekend for supplies and things and things of that nature we're seeing in the news so it's you know i chuckle but it's but it is a it is a real it's a reality that we're looking at so that's that's kind of the a grim picture on the ground right now um gonna ask you for for your perspective on maybe a best case scenario um you know in if i if things come together ideally um you know how might this situation play out for for our industry and the and really the the economy as a whole I think with a few hundred thousand flights canceled, falling stock market, a spread of the disease here to 60 different countries and a mounting case count and death toll, it's hard to see a really great case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but in spite of, of some of the very scary news out there, particularly over the last uh, few days here in the U.S., it started to spread a little bit in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, there are some encouraging nuggets if you, if you dive into the data. Mm-hmm. Um, the key statistic to look at is not the cumulative number of cases. That's a big, scary number no matter what, and it will continue to climb. And, and that's, that's actually statistically, from a statistical perspective, not really as relevant. Mm-hmm. The key statistic that we're monitoring several times per day is the number of new cases per day per country, mm-hmm. in some cases per province. Mm-hmm. So at the height uh, of this in early February, um, which is where we believe it really peaked in China, it was early February, mm-hmm. um, China was at three to 4,000 new cases per day. My word. And since okay. then, that number has fallen to basically a few hundred a day. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fallen pretty dramatically over the, last, um, over the last couple weeks. And if you take a deeper dive into the provincial data, you see a similar trend. So the Guangdong province where we have uh, one of our offices, uh, it was incurring 150 new cases per day at the peak, which mm-hmm. was right around January 31. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're averaging less than one per day in the Guangdong province. Mm-hmm. So why is this encouraging? It's, it's, you know, it's basically encouraging because uh, it does demonstrate the ability to somewhat control a widespread and massive outbreak within a highly populated area. You know, a number of governments will have to take some of those learnings and try to apply them accordingly. And so you know, we've been... We've been closely monitoring the UK's data coming out of Italy and South Korea and France and Spain, all the countries that are kind of on the verge here. And we hope to see this same sort of trend of government ability to turn the corner on the virus uh, before it spreads exponentially. So assuming that our governments can do that um, and somewhat contain and mitigate this virus until the summer comes, then I think our best case scenario would be to have production return to normal sometime in March, um, and, and within China at least. And have this be a little bit more of a, a, a significant blip on the radar, but a blip on the radar. Um, I suspect the health impact will probably be less than the business impact because mm-hmm. the fear aspect really comes into play here. Um, I think we're probably at a point where the hope is really just um, for us to, to be able to mitigate the speed of the spread mm-hmm. rather than be able to actually fully contain it. Um, in the best case scenario for our industry, the mitigation strategy is so successful that there would be minimal um, social distancing protocols and travel restrictions in place. Mm-hmm. We started to see them be put into place, but if, if we can somehow contain this overall, the government can, 
um, then then we we hopefully won't see as much of that um, because uh, that that stuff it really could hurt our industry. And I'm not sure if that's possible, but mm-hmm. if it if it was, it would reduce the amounts of corporate event cancellations and the promotional delays and all the stuff that that we you know could potentially come. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit overly optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're already hearing about event ca- cancellations. Uh, companies are putting moratoriums on travel. Um, a lot of our customers have done that already. Uh, France be, uh, started banning gatherings of more than 5,000 people. I think we'll see other governments follow suit, which yeah. has impacts on um, the entertainment industry in a significant manner. Uh, and I think that even a, a good, the best case scenario in the next six months, it does involve disruption on uh, disruption to our, our daily lives as we currently know them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I think that there could potentially be recoverable economic impact over the course of the next couple months. And that, that's the, the way I view best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I think the likelihood of that isn't extremely likely. I don't think this is like, oh, yeah, 95%, that's how it's going to turn out. Uh, but I see there's a potential. Uh, All potential, right. Uh, so, so with that said, with that said, what's, um, you know, I, I say worst case, worst case is probably the wrong wording. What do you see as maybe a, a realistic case? How do, you, how do you see this shaking out for everybody? Well, I mean, you know, it depends on, on how dark you want to get with realistic case or bad case or, or mm-hmm. worse case, but the reality is there's there's still a lot that is left to be learned about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many variables, and, and you know, we're in a place where we're trying to make predictions based off of unknown variables, and at best, they're predictions that are sort of uh, flimsy and, and kind of fluid. But, you know, the death rate right now is sort of being estimated by folks in the science community at around 1% to 1.5%, but, but that still could actually come down a decent amount. Either way, what we know is that it's far more deadly than the common flu. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the common flu is about a 0.1% death rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also far less deadly than Ebola or MERS or SARS mm-hmm. or some of the other sort of global epidemics that have, that have come about in recent years. Mm-hmm. But the, the real piece of data that, that keeps us from being able to make great determinations about the likelihood of spread is the total number of cases, what mm-hmm. the denominator is. I think it's no secret that the Chinese government um, was not being totally forthcoming in, in reporting their number of cases. Mm-hmm. You could say uh, the same thing about the government in Iran. Mm-hmm. And we don't actually know, besides just bad reporting and bad data, we don't actually know who has it but is not showing symptoms. Mm-hmm. We don't know, you know, there's, even in the U.S., we're way behind the eight ball in terms of testing. Um, and so we don't actually know what the denominator is there. Mm-hmm. Without that, without knowing the denominator, we don't actually know what the death rate is, whether it's in that 1% to 1.5% range or if it's significantly lower. Mm-hmm. We don't know the R not, the, 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 the spread or transmissibility of the virus. Well, we know for sure, based on what we're seeing in places like Italy and South Korea, um, and obviously China and, and a bunch of other countries, is that this thing can spread pretty mm-hmm. aggressively, and it can spread in a way that's extraordinarily difficult for governments to rein in. Mm-hmm. That's the scary part. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I would say that not a worst-case scenario, but certainly a, a pretty bad scenario, mm-hmm. is one that involves a lot of a pretty significant economic recession, mm-hmm. both in the U.S. and globally, and that will be... For, for, for a lot of reasons, but I think the primary driver will be the sort of social distancing, mm-hmm. the measures that are put in place to keep people apart from one another to help slow down the spread of the virus. And those things prove to be massively disruptive to work, to travel, to events, basically all the things that serve as the basis for companies giving away promotional products. Yeah. I, I think if that scenario comes to pass and 
I won't be surprised to see, you know, county by county, sit, you know, people in, you know, in various cities saying, like, yeah, we're going to work from home for a few weeks or we're going to avoid public places or we're going to cancel that event. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're already seeing it happen, and I think it's not unlikely that it will continue to happen mm-hmm. in a, a more widespread way. I think if that happens, if, if events and public gatherings go away for some period of time, I think you're going to see more companies in this industry go out of business than we saw in 2009. Wow. And, uh-huh. and, and, and the reason why is it's not just um, economic recession. It's, it's, it's supply chain disruption and social distancing on top of the decreased spending that comes about from a generic recession. So the generic recession sort of on steroids because you got decreased spending, social distancing, and supply chain problems. And those three things compound each other in a way that could be really bad. And from my perspective, again, this is just a personal perspective, I think companies in our industry today are less well-equipped to deal with the fallout of a retreating economy than they were even in 2009. I can't tell you how many times you hear stories about small, regional, mom-and-pop places and and, distributors in places like the Midwest Mm -hmm. that are barely keeping the lights on as is. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are plenty of companies in this industry that are trading little to no profit, in the last decade of, of, of a really, really robust economic expansion. And we won't speak out of school here, but still I know is top 50 distributors that aren't making money right now either and haven't even with that sort of uh, those economic tailwinds behind their back. I mean, do you guys, I can't imagine a scenario where companies like that are going to be able to withstand a prolonged downturn. You know, we just know that they can't. So I think if anything close to a, a bad case scenario, I think you're going to see a lot of firms go under and close up shop. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, and I think there's a silver lining here, which is that this is extinction pressure. If, if a bad case scenario comes to, to pass, that there will be extinction pressure that will be placed on companies and they will be forced to evolve or they will die. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that are left standing at the end of that process will be the better versions of the very best companies in this industry. So I actually expect a lot of growth and a lot of necessity-driven evolution to come about from a potential economic downturn, if there is one. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately, down the road, we're going to look back and say that's one of the best things that ever happened in this industry. But man, if that happens, there's a lot of pain and a lot of loss that comes along on the road towards getting there. So I hope it doesn't happen. But that's, to me, a, a pretty realistic bad case scenario. Well, it's it's you know it's a sobering perspective to say to say the least, and um, you know not unfounded, quite frankly, right? Like it, there, there's nothing you say there that seems too far fetched, given some of the uh, the the potential disruption, um, and even the disruption that we're seeing to date. With that in mind, well, ha- sorry, go me, ahead. Let, yeah. let me jump in here because yeah. Phil, Phil said something interesting, which which I wanted to comment on. Which he talked about. I think we're probably past the point of containment that he talked about mitigating the speed of spread. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately the, you know, we'll see. We had to get, there need to be more cases in the U.S. for this to happen. But then the reason why that's important is it, for preserving the capacity of the public health system, right? It's, it's not about necessarily containing coronavirus and getting rid of all the cases. It's making sure that there's not too much screen placed on hospitals and, and public health services. And so, if we get to that point, which we might, you're going to see people put people, companies, local governments put social distancing policies either in place or at least recommend them and say, hey, instead of getting together with other people, you know, do things remotely, use Zoom meeting, you know, do video conferences, whatever it is. Um, and that is all going to be done if that happens to, to try to just limit the strain on the healthcare system because the slower this thing spreads, the less sort of strain on resources there will be. 
Okay. All right. Great, great, great point. Um, so with that said, I know you don't have a crystal ball. I know that you guys are, you know, don't work in healthcare, but how long do you think that this disruption will last? Um, you know, some of the stuff says, hey, maybe by summer that the, the, the warmer weather starts to knock things out a bit. Um, how for, for, for the economy in general and our industry, how long do you see d- disruption occurring? So I think it's many, many months. Um, and so you can jump in if you have a different perspective here. But I think the real question isn't how long coronavirus is going to be around. It's it, it, how long will the second order effects of coronavirus continue for. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as Phil said earlier, that you know, our understanding or our belief at least is that the cases in China peaked from a new case perspective in the middle of February. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, globally, I think people sort of think that the new case peak will occur sometime in April and be largely behind us by July in terms of mitigation of the speed of the spread and sort of general containment overall. But it is sort of the tipping point that leads to an economic correction that's probably long overdue. Mm-hmm. How long of a hangover are we talking about? I mean, how long did the effects of the housing market collapse in 2008 last, right? The, right. the, the housing market eventually recovered, but you know, years after housing started rebounding, people were still feeling the after effects of that collapse. I have no reason to think that if you see that sort of severe economic disruption, you know, well after the coronavirus is behind us, you're going to still see some lingering effects. I mean, there'll be a, a different... Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, there's a lot of people in the science community that are, are saying that SARS actually did not really die out because of summer, but more because of better government preventative measures, mm-hmm. and that the idea that uh, the coronavirus would die out just because of summer is one that really is up for grabs right now. This mm-hmm. time. So I don't think we can get a hope and pray that summer comes and saves the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it also seems to hope and pray that um, we'll have some sort of um, you know, medical miracle. Uh, that also is something that's not going to be coming in the next couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, almost everyone across the board in the medical community says that. So uh, I, I do think that, that we're in this for the long haul. Um, I'm very encouraged by what's happening in China. If you were to comment me on this you know, probably about two and a half, three weeks ago, um, I would have been uh, a little bit more a little bit more scared on this front because uh, China, it was like, escalating out of control and they mm-hmm. had no way to really get it under control. Um, the, the data over the last few days out of China, uh, although we never really fully know if the data is completely accurate coming out of China, but it's certainly encouraging. Um, and there's a number of people in the scientific community in China that are reporting in good numbers. And so, you know, I, I believe there's an ability for countries to get this under control uh, once it's already kind of spread. Um, the key is getting into it early and making sure the population is educated and, and a bit fearful. You know, I think mm-hmm. the fear actually helps the spread of, of this thing. Um, but as far as our industry goes, um, that fear is, is hurtful. You know, um, mm-hmm. fear, fear definitely hurts the economy. And I think that's why so many governments are trying to strike that balance between you know, putting fear in the, in the eyes of their population, which would probably help uh, prevent the spread of it, but also not scaring them so much where people stop economic activity, travel and shopping and investment and all of that, uh, which would hurt the economy. And so you see these governments trying to trying to go into that line, which is tough. Um, but I would agree with Josh. I think that there's, there's going to be um, a, learning effect, a learning effect for quite some time. Even if we kind of country by country get this under control, uh, a lot of people are also talking now about Africa. Um, Africa had its first case in Nigeria mm-hmm. a few days back, um, and about the the health system within Africa not being able to really keep up uh, with with a virus like this. Um, that seems to be the predominant opinion. So that's one of those things also in which all bets could be off uh, if this thing does spread to Africa and get get uh, get going in a crazy way. Um, 
So hopefully we can prevent that as well. But so far, I, I think uh, I'm encouraged by the news out of China of seeing that they're the furthest along in terms of a crystal ball for what other countries might have in store if we don't have a situation like they had uh, in, in, in the city of Wuhan, uh, in Hubei province. Um, and, and I think that can be prevented just by early measures by government. So, so let me let me ask you a question here. I'll take over the role of interviewer for a second. Do you think uh, do you think people in this industry have a good sense of what the impact of, of social distancing measures would actually mean, both in sort of a day to day reality, but also in a, in a business and economic sense? I, th- I mean, I think that it's starting to. I think last week was the, was the real breaking point. That's where we started getting calls from our customers. You know, probably about five or six weeks ago, we started reaching out to our customers, having um, in-depth conversations about what coronavirus is and how it could affect them down the line. And we did get a lot of people that were kind of scratching their heads saying, you know, corona what? And, and I imagine that uh, most of our competitors, if they were also doing the same thing, then they would probably be getting the same response. Um, uh, so I think that it really wasn't in the in the general um, in the general public's purview there uh, over the last, you know, five or six weeks. I think last week it really changed because obviously the stock market took a fall and then it started hitting the news and then we started getting some cases here. So I think that, that people probably are, within our industry are starting to realize the potential implications. Um, but but generally speaking, I, I think uh, people in our industry are a bit too optimistic. Um, and I'm, I'm all for optimism. I just don't want blind optimism. Um, you know, I'm all for positivity, but I don't want blind positivity. And I think there's some of that as well, where it's kind of like uh, the reasons that I've heard people give within the industry as to why this won't affect us uh, are, are reasons that aren't based in fact. It's kind of like things like, oh, it's, it's fine. We've had viruses before, and it always turns out fine. Oh, this is certainly different than past viruses mm-hmm. and, and has the ability to be very different economically speaking. It already has been. Mm-hmm. Um, or you'll hear someone say, like, oh, this is, you know, this flu's all the time. You know, this is just another flu. Where right now, like, the facts don't support that currently. This, this, the facts support right now that the, the death rate's probably 10x what the, the common flu is, um, and it spreads more than the common flu at this point. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't mind people being positive about it. I think there is a way in which you can look at certain things positively within this whole thing, but um, overall, we're facing a really big challenge, and I'm not sure that, that our industry fully understands the, the economic impact of that. Um, it's very similar to when the drug companies, in my mind, uh, stopped being able to, to give out promo products. There, there was there was warnings for for years before that, years um, that this, this that legislation was going to come down. And yet, so many companies went out of business right after because they completely ignored the warnings. They completely ignored the warnings to diversify uh, their client base. They completely ignored the warnings to be able to go and not put all their eggs in one basket. And they just hoped that it would just kind of go away, and it didn't. And so, I think that that we kind of have that tendency, unfortunately, sometimes as an industry. Oh my goodness. So, so with all that said, bottom line, what do you what do you see happening to sales within within the industry in in 2020? At, collectively, are we going to go down? Are we going to go up? Are we going to struggle on to to remain steady? What do you see happening? Yeah. So, as far as the industry is concerned, um, I think it's going to have a very serious negative impact, and that's mm-hmm. an industry wide perspective. I, I think you're going to see. Um, both the direct impact on promo that comes from the sort of social distancing that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. events not happening, travel not happening, conferences not happening, and people just kind of not congregating in, in public spaces. And I think that's going to directly decrease spending on the types of products that this industry sells. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're going to have the secondary effect of, I think you're going to see dampened economic activity in the first half of this year. I mm-hmm. think you're going to see Q1 and Q2. You know, we, we look at the, the GDP numbers after the fact. I, mean, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe 
Um, consumption, consumer spending is like 68% of our economy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's people going to restaurants, right? People going to ball games and buying stuff. Um, that is all, those are all things that, that will uh, be impacted by social distancing. And, mm-hmm. and, and so if you see a regression in economic activity, that's a second-order effect that you can, I think, um, impact the overall revenue numbers of this industry this year. Um, and, and you combine that with some of the event-based spend that's going to go away and the decline in those events where people get together, you're going to see, you're going to see a pretty significant negative impact from an industry-wide perspective. Got it. All right. So looking, looking ahead or not even looking ahead, looking at to, to the kind of the current situation, you know, there's probably some things you could have did in advance of this, as you had mentioned before, about diversifying supply chains out of, out of China. That's a huge thing you could have done, but you can't do that immediately right now and, and kind of change the, the situation at hand. So what are some things that, that distributors can do to kind of navigate this disruption? Is, is, is there anything, any positive steps they can take? For sure. Um, I think there's a few steps that, that uh, they need to take. Um, first, it, it all starts with the team. Uh, you, you got to protect your team. You got to keep, keep your team healthy. So, um, you know, I think when you think about it, uh, if you had an office outbreak, it, it would it would devastate uh, any company, mm-hmm. no matter which company it was. So, so that's kind of first and foremost. Obviously, you want to protect your team from a moral perspective, but also from a business perspective. It's really important you do, you do that. And so, you got to think about your work from home policies and examine whether your corporate culture encourages people who are ill to stay at home or or come into the office and brave it out. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you have that kind of uh, corporate culture where everyone comes in no matter what, even if they're sick, uh, change that immediately. Okay. Um, that, that's, that's not good. Um, yeah. And, you know, you look at our current uh, current situation in China, our office in China, uh, we, we haven't had anyone in our office in China for over a month. We mm-hmm. shut the office down and everyone's working from home, and, and we plan to do that for this foreseeable future. Um, and, and that being said, there's only one or two new cases a day in the Guangdong province, but we mm-hmm. still feel like it's important to, to make sure we don't have an outbreak in our office. So that's mm-hmm. step one is make sure to, to put your team first. Um, um, I think that you also, when thinking about your team, you got to go and examine the necessity of business travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we certainly are. I know a lot of other large corporations are, are looking at, at – at, uh, pretty much cutting all non-essential business travel. I think that's an important piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, you, you got to embrace technology. Uh, we, we do a lot uh, as a team uh, here at Bango um, because of the fact that uh, we've got uh, we've got a technology-first type of approach. So we have people that are spread, spread across the entire nation, entire globe, uh, but we've invested enough in, in technology um, that actually makes that communication, makes that workflow continue on seamlessly without having to be face to face. You know, we did that because we wanted to work with the, the best talent around the entire world and not have geographic limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but cultivating that sort of culture uh, allows folks to collaborate at a distance. Certainly, is a, a major asset in times like these, and, and it can be put to the, put to the test and, and one that's worth worth going after. Um, I also think that. Uh, another big piece that I see distributors unfortunately staying away from is you, you got to proactively communicate these challenges to your customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started talking uh, to, to our to our partners, to our customers uh, about this uh, in, in January. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been talking about it for about a month and a half, but but uh, and that's been very helpful. Uh, we kept them updated every step of the way and have been very transparent about the supply chain challenges. Um, 
but it's not too late to do that now. I mean, uh, it, it's okay that, that we, you might be a little bit late to the game. It's better late than never. Don't avoid those conversations. Um, it's our obligation as an industry to keep our customers uh, in the loop and keep them uh, keep them informed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think lastly, financially, uh, as what any responsible business should do uh, during a time like this, you have to start thinking about contingency planning. Um, you know, restraining from making any real big capital intensive investments unless you have the balance sheet to really back that up, mm-hmm. I think is important. Mm-hmm. And making sure your cash flow situation is strong enough to weather the storm. So um, I was when, whenever trying to plan for cash flow and, and, and plan uh, for, for the financial quarters ahead, I always like to think, all right, if we had worst case scenario, how would we do? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think there's a lot of distributors that, that maybe are avoiding that question right now. They got to really figure that out because mm-hmm. there is a chance that the we do hit worst case scenario. And if that's the case, uh, and you're low on cash or you just made a big investment that's eating up some of your capital and you can't you can't make it through, you could be a great company that just gets, you know, bounced out of the industry because of the fact you just ran out of cash during a tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all that being said, if you, if you're as concerned about some of this as, as we are here, um, you know, we've got a ton of resources on our team that can help out. You know, reach out to us, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um and we'd love to help in any way we can. And we feel like this is something that if we join together as an industry and work together, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a better response. Um, we always like to, to help companies that are that are in trouble, whether it be financially or in trouble, whether it be strategically or, or just in trouble in terms of figuring out their, their solution to, to a challenge like this. So uh, feel free to reach out to us, and, and, uh, and we will definitely help out. All right, great, great stuff. Josh, any final thoughts? Yeah, the one thing I would add there that Phil didn't touch on, Wash your hands. <laughs> you know, right. like I, I, you know, I can't emphasize enough. Like you know, Phil and I have been, uh, and a couple folks on our team, we've been living this uh, extremely closely. You know, you guys can probably tell we were sort of early to the the party of uh-huh. uh, paying very, very, very close attention to coronavirus, and some of that is is sort of. Phil's vision and leadership, and a lot of that is just being very close to folks on the ground in China. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been sort of obsessively following this and reading about it all the time, every day, basically, um, for, I don't know, a month and a half or so. And the one thing that that makes a huge difference is being really diligent and maniacal about washing your hands. Mm-hmm. Do it for 20 seconds and um, be crazy disciplined about it. And, you know, Phil, Phil I thought, made a good point about talking about company culture mm-hmm. and you know do you have the kind of company culture where it's like oh tough it out even if you have a flu like coming to the office or do you actually change that culture and say like hey if you're not feeling well it's okay you're not you don't need to be a hero stay home i think you can do a, a lot of good i think we can all do a lot of good by being very intentional about washing our hands and encouraging other people to wash their hands and just being thoughtful about those, those hygiene things and mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about silver linings, like, hey, I think as a as a country, as a society, we're all about to get a lot better in our in our hygiene, and, and I think that's probably a good thing in the long run. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, very very sobering stuff, as we said. Um, you know, Phil and Josh, thank you so much for being with us, and for everyone who's listened. Um, the big takeaways there. These are these are two guys that are at the highest levels of this industry who are seeing things on the first line or the front lines with um, very extensive relationships overseas. So I think what they say has um, a lot of merit and and should be paid attention to. And some of the big takeaways, right, are are prepare now. 
you know, you know, plan for the, plan for the, hope for the best, plan for the worst, and um, try to start implementing some of these things that could mitigate the potential impact to your company and and to your sales. And um, you know, you can't control the larger things, but but you, but the things that you can control, do your best to control them. Phil and Josh, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thank you. Appreciate thank you. it.